Hello and welcome to Ad Hoc History. It's not the history podcast you wanted. It's the history podcast you deserve. How's that's it going, a, Ash? That's right. Awkward intro. A staple <laughs> on this show. <laughs> a staple indeed. What's up, uh, Lexa? What's up, Asher? How you doing? I am doing quite well. I am excited to be here tonight and talk about a very interesting and I don't know, controversial topic, uh, the whole discussion on aliens and UFOs. Are UAPs or absolutely what have you? And I'm super stoked to be talking about this as well. It's a fascinating topic that, I mean, a lot of us have been, you know, kind of low-key obsessed with, or maybe just straight up obsessed with for a long time. And I'm super stoked as well that we have a couple of guests with us today. Hell yeah. So we've got Flood from XV Planis. What's going on, dude? Oh, wait, wait, that's my cue. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get in the, in the right headspace. I'm doing great. I'm super stoked for this. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and we've got Dave from Unearthing Paranormalcy Podcast. Hello, I'm Dave. You could say that I'm somewhat of an amateur when it comes to these alien topics. I do right. host a, a podcast and about every 10 or 12 episodes, we talk about nothing but aliens and disclosure and government cover-ups and all kinds of weird wacky stuff i feel like this is such a deep topic that one could spend one's life uh investigating and still feel like an amateur yeah i still feel like they're running in circles yeah you are you are 100 correct well thank you guys so much for joining us tonight um i know for luxa and myself this is a topic that you know, whenever we're together, we usually end up talking about this. Um, it's something I know personally I've been very interested in pretty much my whole life. You know, we grew up watching the X-Files and listening to Coast to Coast. And uh, but more recently, been starting to see discussions on the UAP phenomena and disclosure creeping up in mainstream media outlets and it's becoming much less of a kind of taboo subject to talk about. And so we thought, you know what, let's just have a conversation on our podcast about it. And the two of you seemed like excellent guests to bring on. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. And I'm very excited to kind of get into this. You're thanking me now, but by the end of this, you're really going to be asking me to shut the hell up. But, you know. <laughs> Great content, friends. <laughs> oh, this is going to be podcast gold. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely so this, oh go ahead go ahead Lexa. oh i was just gonna say so this is ad hoc history so we thought we would start out by giving a little bit of historical context into the topic of uaps or ufos or whatever one wishes to call them hell yeah yeah so you know there's been a lot of stuff in the news recently there was a congressional hearing we have some kind of high brow whistleblowers coming forward it's kind of brought this topic out of like the dundrums of like conspiracy you know, nonsense into kind of a different light where a lot of people are looking at it, you know, perhaps with a little bit more credibility than ever before. But the phenomena really kicks off basically in 1947. And that's when there is this famous sighting by a man named Kenneth Arnold, who was a businessman and he was flying a small plane in Washington state and he reported seeing nine crescent-shaped objects that apparently were moving at several thousand miles per hour. And he reported that they seemed to be like saucers skipping on water. 
And in the local news report that followed, they stated that they were saucer-shaped you know, objects. And that's kind of where we get this flying saucer idea. Uh, but the story was a big hit. It was um, very phenomenal. And it kind of kicked off this new age of UFO sightings. And that same year, 1947, we had the Roswell incident where, you know, something crashed outside of Roswell, New Mexico. Local papers reported it was a flying saucer, kind of playing off the Kenneth Arnold story. And the U U.S. government seemed to kind of cover it up. They're not really sure, but it kind of kicked off this whole frenzy of ufology and UFO hysteria that has kind of come with us into the present day. So that's just kind of like, I think, the start of modern ufology. You could I love, I'm not sure if I love the phrase UFO hysteria. <laughs> well, enthusiasm, I, I, might, enthusiasm. I might suggest instead. Obsession, <laughs> even. And obviously, we've had people like Eric von Donegan who kind of took this idea and put it back into ancient history and looks at things in the Bible or in like, you know, Vedic legends about these, you know, chariots of fire, these objects that, you know, in the ancient world were described as, you know, some, you know, the works of gods or angels or whatnot. And perhaps, you know, this is some, you know, a phenomenon that has been happening for much longer than, you know, 1947. It's just, this is kind of like, the current way we view it is through this kind of aliens angle. All right. Anything to add, uh, Flood or Dave? The rabbit hole just goes so much deeper than that, though. You you are right. Like that that was essentially <laughs> like the that was that was the kickoff point for this insane game that we're in the middle of right now. And um, you know, like you had all of these events that, uh, and you know, I'm I'm gonna everybody put on your tinfoil hats here for a second. Um, I think I never take mine off. Ah, good man, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think it's important to note that that there is a correlation between the the beginning of of the UFO boom, so to speak, with another boom, and that would be us doing the original nuclear Trinity test. Um, because the first documented sightings happened just within weeks after after we dropped the first bomb in a test. Yeah, it's interesting. It, well, it also kind of coincides with the birth of the Cold War and this kind of secrecy where we have and the birth of like modern aviation, as we kind of know it today, where we have, you know, this kind of arms race between superpowers with this new kind of weaponry that by the very nature of it has to be kind of kept top secret. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, carrying weapons of destruction that, um, you know, so it kind of has its own logic to it, where it's just kind of a different stage in our country, in the world's history, where instead of technology kind of being spread freely, all of a sudden the newest, highest tech stuff becomes of utmost importance because national security and the fate of the world is at stake, you know? Mm -hmm. So indeed. Oh yeah, yeah it and really that's... does. The, the, um, I mean, from the start, the U.S. government, I mean, just off the top of my head, the programs that they've had responsible for researching sightings and talking to people is like Project Blue Book, Project Sign. The U.S. Navy has the 
Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. I mean, there's several, several others. In that latest um, Congress hearing, they even mentioned another one I'd never even heard of that I can't even remember the name of. Well, OSAP, ATIP, uh, uh, something beyond that? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go back and, and rewatch the hearing then. But no, you're right. There's a lot of legacy programs that have been going on. I love how our government has been so adamant about like, no, we stopped looking into this stuff after uh, after Project Blue Book shut down. <clears throat> Horseshit, you know. <laughs> yeah, they just named it something different like they do all their other programs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, just for the sake of the audience, I guess for my own sake as well, uh, would one of you or both of you like to describe what uh, Project Blue Book was? Dave? Yeah, give me just one sec. The super condensed. Go ahead. Impeccable notes. <laughs> I, I like Dave. Dave will go into much detail here, but the short version is Project Blue Book was a. Um, it was created by the government to investigate uh, the UFO phenomena, but at the same time, it was also simultaneously created to debunk it all. There, there was a completely, uh, there was very much a drive to remove this from the eye of of the American public. They, they didn't want us talking about this. So, J. Allen Hynek yeah. ends up getting brought in to officially debunk all of this stuff. And what I love about that guy that with with his his Dick Van Patten stash and all that. I love the fact that this guy got ran through the ringer and he he did what he was told. He debunked and he debunked and he debunked. And then towards the end of his time at Project Blue Book, he started scratching his head and he's like, oh shit, this is actually real. And he completely flipped on it as soon as he left the program. Yeah, that's fascinating. God, I love, I, I love Heineck. Him and Valet, if, if if I could sit down and just have a couple of bottles of wine with any two UFO nerds in the world, those are the two I want to sit down with, man. Yeah, Jacques Valet for the audience, a very famous and well-known and pretty widely well-respected uh, figure in the phenomena community and um, has written some pretty interesting stuff about it. Uh, Passport to, Mago Passport to Magonia um, kind of touches on what you had mentioned, Asher, like, is this a phenomenon that we've been witnessing forever um, as a species, and we just have different language for it depending on our place and time. Mm -hmm. All right, so the Air Force General Nathan Twining, he was the one who launched Project Sign in 1948, which was the first we know of intelligence program responsible for collecting information on, uh, they were calling them UFOs back then. Um, now, these files are all unclassified, and the majority of them are deemed as hoaxes, misidentification, and known aircraft, uh, natural phenomena. Because um, at that time, I mean, we were flying like the uh, blackbirds and things, the planes that were capable of going like like five, 600 miles an hour. But by 1952, Project Sign was renamed to Project Blue Book. And that's when Captain Edward Ruppelt from the... Uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, uh, took it over. And they averaged about a dozen sightings a month nationwide. Let me see. In 1952, Life Magazine actually uh, ran a story on this. Um, and Ruppel 
they, they had Ruppelt's full cooperation on this and explained um, the Air Force's national security interest in these unidentified flying objects. It explained uh, 10 incidents and made the case that many of these objects may be extraterrestrial or unknown in origin. Um, one of the people named in this article was Dr. Walter Rydell, um, who was working for the U.S. government on a quote-unquote secret project. And if you're not familiar, he was a German rocket scientist during World War II. He was the one who designed and developed the V-2 ballistic rocket. And that we all know what secret project that was he was under. <laughs> but he, he shows up in this article as well. Okay. That's interesting, yeah, because it, it does kind of play into that this Cold War arms race where we have these new oh, crazy yeah. technologies that we've basically stolen from an enemy country, but our adversary has also stolen them, and we're kind of like in this kind of secret race to develop these technologies at the same time. Um, oh, but we can't, yeah, uh, and there's an aspect of psychological warfare that goes into this too, you know, this idea of like oh what maybe we do have these crazy tech you know this crazy technology that you couldn't even imagine you know like and that's why our citizens are seeing it over our skies you know there's there's all kinds of different like lenses that you could look at this situation through absolutely yeah and and, uh, and if i'm thinking correctly i want to say the soviet union had already successfully tested the atomic bomb by 1949 yeah 1949 Oh, which was which was after us, so so they came in right behind us, right? Yeah, it, it, I think uh, Curtis LeMay and all like the big kind of military planners thought it, it would take them at least fifteen years to develop this thing, and mm -hmm. then boom, four years later they set it off. And it they just were kind of... like really really good at tradecraft. I think they had like a bunch of spies within the Manhattan Project and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. it's three different oh, versions of the bomb were stolen from the Manhattan. Project. <laughs> And that's oh, kind yeah. of like kind of speaks to why this culture of secrecy kind of felt so necessary is because mm -hmm. during the war that, you know, Manhattan Project was supposed to be top secret, but it was so thoroughly infiltrated that, uh, you know, these weapons were basically, you know, squirreled out of the country into this, this huge rival. And it threw a wrench in the planning of the post-war American powers at be where, you know, they thought that they had the royal straight flush when it came to global affairs. And all of a sudden, they don't have the winning hand anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And everything is a mess over in Europe. And like, yeah, it's all kinds of instability. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So it's kind of the start of the UFO, you know, phenomena starts in the late 40s, which coincides very well with the birth of, you know, the atomic age and the birth of this kind of cold war top secret arms race where we're developing all these new technologies for the purpose of you know potentially destroying you know our rival powers but that's not the end of it you know so this phenomena has endured ever since and it's taken root in popular culture you know we mentioned the x-files before um you know you can go to roswell today and go to the alien museum and it's, you know this kind of like these fun kind of takes on it but yeah, and I, I want to point out, like, I think that one of the places that we get our, like, idea of what aliens look like, the gray aliens, right, is like Whitley Strieber's communion. I think that was another important touchstone in this. Yeah, kind yeah. Of, Do like, you want to speak a little bit timeline. about Whitley Strieber? Sure, I can speak a little bit about Whitley Strieber. Um, 
he is an experiencer um and from what i can remember of his story he has kind of an involvement with the u.s military for a lot of his life um and had experiences throughout a lot of his life which were you know very negative ones uh for the most part from if i remember correctly i think that he might have said there was a few that were like sort of positive but for the most part like very negative um you know trigger warning for people listening like things about like uh, violence and sexual assault and just like these really horrible scary things um and you know i actually was lucky enough to to take a class where whitley was a guest speaker and um just you know seeing this person speak hearing him talk about his experiences like I mean, I have no idea what happened, you know, but something fucking happened. <laughs> like, I could say that from, you know, talk to, you know, just seeing that, um, seeing the look on a, the person's face, like giving this account of these experiences, that definitely like felt genuine to me. And it's kind of like this second, like maybe not second, but another like element to it is that we start having these abduction kind of reports where, you know, people are reporting that they're, you know, taken from their bedrooms, taken from their cars. They have this crazy experience. They can't really explain. Sometimes there's missing time. Um, so it Oftentimes, goes. Psychedelic things, high strangeness, like kind of dream logic. Um, yeah, just really outside of the normal uh, types of experiences from yeah. what a lot of people say. And that is an element to this whole phenomenon that a lot of people tend to to steer clear of because if you start to go into it like from an outsider perspective i get it 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 makes you sound utterly insane because there is almost a cartoonish like nature to some of these encounters like even with uh with streber's uh with streber's encounters with the grays that's a tip of the iceberg if, if you go into his experiences he'll start talking about massive raccoons with eyes three times larger that they're supposed to be it's it's like the phenomena is presenting itself to you in absurd ways and that, sure. that's something that you'll find a lot more the further you go into historical stories of abductions and but some experiencers describe these types of things as something called a screen memory which is like a memory that um is thought to be put over one's genuine memory mm -hmm. too yeah mm. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, they're trying to fill in those gaps with imagery that doesn't that makes more sense to you, but because they don't fully understand the perception from your point of view, it's all off. It's awkward and strange. Now, um, with Whitley Schreiber, it it all started in like December nineteen eighty five, and it started with like bizarre weather. He, he described how the snow was falling in like perfect crystalline flakes. And then all of a sudden, like a wave of paranoia came over him. And then like every night he was like checking in every closet and looking under every bed and things like that. And in the middle of the night, one night he was awoken to like this whooshing sound and stuff like that. And, and he, he sat up and kind of saw this small little figure and it kind of rushed towards him and the next thing he knows he's like outside under some kind of rectangular thing like on his knees out in the it's absolutely wild and he had to go through like so much like therapy and memory um memory restoration and 
No. Oh, just a, a wild encounter. If if I remember correctly, when all of this first started happening to him and he started going to therapy, he was under the assumption that he was uh, sexually assaulted by by a couple of random guys in the woods. That's what was in his head. That's yeah. what he was thinking is like, my brain is not letting me process this because I've been through trauma. This is what I can come up with that makes sense of it. And the further down the regression route that he went, the more he uncovered and he started to shift his perception on it. And obviously he's not the only one. There's been, you know, many, many people that have reported having these strange experiences. Yeah. Any of y'all ever experienced missing time before? I have not. Good. I, I have not either. I think so. I mean, not that wasn't related to like uh, <laughs> recreational activities. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't consider myself an experiencer. I'm very curious and everything, but, um, you know, I, there's people in my family who I might, you say, would consider themselves experiencers, but I don't, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, so maybe this would be a good kind of like dovetail, you know, for so long people who were having these experiences and seeing these things were you know in the kind of broader society like you know oftentimes ridiculed um shunned shamed uh, all kinds of things like that and what's interesting about what's happening now is there's been a real shift in that type of a narrative that's interesting you bring that up because i i was just about to talk about betty and barney hill who were an interracial couple in the 1950s beginning in the 1950s yeah no, and they really they had an an abduction encounter in september of 1961 mm -hmm. weren't they shown like zeta reticuli or something yeah yeah she she was shown the the star chart and she remembered to draw it from memory and it wasn't until and important to note that at that time modern astronomy and and what we knew about uh the you know the universe beyond our tiny little solar system we hadn't even discovered uh zeta reticuli by that point it wasn't until quite some time afterwards that somebody was taking a look at it and was like holy shit that connects oh yeah yeah um, and i think that's one of the closest um you know galaxies to us yeah i, th oh, I think it's a galaxy i'm not sure yeah, there's quite a story with that star chart. You know, um, uh, first of all, Betty described the map as three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, she redrew it on paper in two dimensions. It's it's about 20 dots and two large circles, and 12 of them are connected by soldered or dotted lines, you know? Um, well, there was this lady named Marjorie Fitch, and in 1969, she, uh, she was a school teacher and astronomer. And she constructed a 3D image off of the galaxy um, based on the 1969 Glee Star Catalog using like beads and strings like all over her living room, right? So in 1969, all stars known to 22 parsecs or 72 light years were mapped. And altogether, this is a little over like 2,000 stars which surround our solar system. Mm -hmm. Um and she would look at Betty's star map and look at the model from different angles until one day she found that it matched Zeta Reticuli, which is a binary star system. It's it's 12 parsecs, which is about a slightly over 39 light years away, maybe 39.5 or so. Yeah, it's, it's somewhere in the 40 range. You're right. Yeah. 
Okay, so it's a it's a solar system or a star system, not a galaxy. Correct. It's in mm-hmm. it's in our galaxy. Um, okay, but it's a, yeah, it's a binary star system uh, that seems to, I mean, potentially uh, have everything that is needed in order to um, facilitate life, just maybe not in the way that we know it. I mean, I I think just the fact that out of 20 points to have them line up in the chaos of like the 2000 stars is absolutely remarkable. Yeah, it's insane. To be honest, like we could do a whole series on Betty and Barney Hill that would go for hours and we would never get tired. That is a fascinating story. Um, I mean, just out of the 200 or out of the about 3000 stars we can see from Earth without a telescope, there's not even 10 of them have a similar orientation. That's why we have all the different constellations. <laughs> all right. Well, do you guys want to get to the more recent news with David Grush and Ryan Graves and all that? Yeah, let's get into it. Yes. Yeah. All right. So recently, I think this was what? Within the past three months, there is this man, David Grush, who I believe is a 14-year veteran from the Air Force and the U.S. Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And he recently retired. And he has since come forward with some revelations about secret government programs involved with recovering, you know, downed crafts that he believes are not from this world. I think he even use the term non-human intelligence uh, to describe these things. Um, And he was actually invited before Congress and had a whole little talk with, you know, several Congress people uh, with some other um, witnesses. There's Ryan Graves, who was a fighter pilot, uh, fighter pilot for the Navy who saw a bunch of strange UAP in training missions. And then a former commander with the Navy, David Fravor is also there who was responsible for one of these famous um, sightings that has kind of been making the rounds. And so the first time, at least that I can remember in my life, there are kind of like legitimate people from the military and intelligence community coming forward. You know, these people have some credibility. They're not just quote, you know, UFO nut jobs end quote Uh, coming forward, speaking to, you know, representatives of the American people and professing what they believe to be a very real phenomenon, that there is, you know, weird stuff going on. And in Grush's case, there are these, you know, black book projects that the U.S. government is involved with, and they're just keeping it all secret and that they have all this, you know, extraterrestrial, non-human intelligence craft, otherworldly shit that they've been hiding from the public for all these years. What do you guys think about this? Two things that come to mind right off the bat that that I want to point out here is that, you know, we've seen a lot of former government agents actually pop up and say, like, yes, this is happening. This is real. Like, that's not necessarily anything new. What I think a lot of people are overlooking is the fact that this guy went to congress like sat down under oath and talked about this and i think people kind of the, the, the people kind of take that for granted you know like 
I'm not a government worker. Like I don't buy into a lot of what they do, but these people who actually do have complete and total faith in our country and our system and the way they do it, they take this very seriously for this guy to come up and actually say this stuff under oath. I think people are undermining how important that is and how much credibility it actually gives to what he's talking about, you know? Um, so that one really stands out to me. And then there's, um, you know, actually, I'm just going to stop there. I'm going to save the rest of uh, the further down this we go. But there's there's something seriously important about what's happening with Grush and and what he's bringing up. This is this is serious now. We're we're not just talking about um, a small little sect in our our government or our military with tinfoil hats on. This is now being brought to Congress, and I, I think a lot of people are are forgetting. That's that's heavy, man. And that that's carries some weight, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a I found a um, an NPR article from October of last year, 2022, um, where NASA has announced a team of members for its UFO study, which I thought was interesting. So this is something that at least the scientific community has been looking into in somewhat of an official capacity, even though it maybe didn't get the like you know congress and and all the other play but yeah we're we're definitely seeing action on it in new ways you know i'm i'm thinking back to the late 90s when there was you know there were other hearings about disclosure right and people say that there was a lot of similar things said then as were said now um so i think just going forward we'll have to see what actual like actions take place right well, that, that is one thing about the Grush testimony that kind of I, I noticed is that he he says all this stuff, but he also says that he wasn't a witness to any of it. It's all stuff he heard from other people in the intelligence community. And it, it, it did kind of have this ring of stuff we've already heard before. And like so it and so, yes, he did go under oath. Um, I think he honestly believes what he's saying. I don't think he's up there lying, but. Is it possible that this is just kind of rumors that he's heard from other people that believe in this stuff? I mean, so I just yeah. I want to point out that you could you could go under oath and say that all of that stuff, right? Like and not be lying. But I do think that he does make a statement in here that him and his wife saw something um regarding a non-human biologic, um, which I think it's is interesting a that yeah, word for that alien term. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a very interesting way to describe it. Uh, non-human biologic. That phrasing is really perking my ears up. Like, yeah, and... I mean, my cat's a non-human biologic. Right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I find it truly fascinating that 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 has been the uh, the term that they've been using as of late. It's no longer like they're not saying extraterrestrial. They're strategically using the term non-human intelligences. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, which I'll get into a little bit later. But, you know, that there, there's that, that wasn't by accident. They chose that term on purpose. Well, and as far as Grush goes, as, as far as I as, as far as I understand this, that he had to since he you know had these top secret clearances the only way he would be allowed to say these things in public is if he went to his former handlers and told him what he was going to say or else he could be charged you know um with basically you know exposing government secrets yeah treason yeah 
Yeah, yeah. The Espionage yeah. Act, the Sedition yeah. Act. So he must have run this by, you know, his former colleagues in the government, the intelligence agency, you know, intelligence community, and they would have given him the okay. Like, this so is that's, why or, disclosure or is acting a... on their behest too. One could say, if you know, one could, who knows, right? I would argue that this is a, a perfect illustration of of d- disclosure is not going to. It's it's not a race. It's a marathon. This is this has to be done strategically and very very slowly because mm-hmm. as disclosure is happening, we're going to find out just how fucked up our own government is. And... I mean, honestly, Flood, it's possible <laughs> that back in the 90s, like, the government was like, oh, shit, like, we better tell people about this shit slow. Hey, how about the X-Files? How about a bunch of, right, like, Stargate? You know, like, I don't know. Like, that's one of the conspiracies that is out there about this mm-hmm. stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I mean part of me kind of wants to buy into that. I mean, how in the hell did uh, J. Yeah. Allen Hynek end up as a cameo on Close Encounters of the Third Kind? You know? <laughs> So I mean, uprooting uprooting people's uprooting people's ideal of the cosmos can take hundreds of years. I mean, look at how long it took people to accept the fact that, like, the Earth wasn't the center of the universe when Galileo said so. It was like a hundred years before people were like, okay, yeah, yeah. But I think nowadays that happens a little bit faster just because of communication and because of the speed at which technology has been advancing. Like, I think that people, modern people, a lot of them, at least maybe in the West and stuff, like, are very used to these, like, you know, rapid technological advancements that might be paradigm shattering, right? Like, I mean, everybody carries a computer in their pocket. Like, back in the day, I, you know, you were fancy if you had a pager, right? Like, so things have changed a lot just in in my short lifetime. Well, no doubt. But I think if we did open the newspaper tomorrow and read, you know, aliens have been here, you know, however long we've been lying to you, you know, I could see that causing an existential crisis. um, When when the... When the former um, defense secretary of Canada came forward and was talking about all the different alien races oh, and hell all yeah. of the all the different <laughs> um, packs and things like that they have with them, mm-hmm. people the couldn't majestic even wrap their stuff? Yeah, no, not the no, majestic no, no, twelve no. stuff. Oh, okay. this, this happened in the late nineties, maybe early two thousands. Oh, it wasn't it even was, that long ago. I want to say it was like uh, 2013, 2014. He's unfortunately dead, but yeah. Paul Hellier, Hellier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Paul Hellier. <laughs> um, he, people couldn't even wrap their minds around it. They were just like, yeah, okay. Well, uh, it, it would I don't be, know what to say about it. it would be like the biggest news story pretty much ever that it changes everything. Right. Uh, all of a sudden, we're not alone in the universe. All of a sudden, it adds this new perspective to everything that there could be these outsiders, these others that could threaten our very existence as a species. Or, you know, we're not top dog anymore. You know, we, we rule the earth. We're the apex species. Well, all of a sudden, if we expand that beyond the earth and there's all these other, you know, where, where does that put us? Where, you know, so I could see why that would be threatening to you know, worldviews all over the place and could be a reason to kind of have the slow motion disclosure to kind of seed the ground to kind of get people ready for these kind of revelations. Absolutely. And as a current argument to that, just to like play devil's advocate, you know, it could also be argued that 
you know, making it seem like this was the case could be a sort of play by the intelligence community to try to like establish peace of some kind. Like, uh, don't worry about Russia. Don't worry about China. Worry about the aliens, everybody. <laughs> like, well, it would be know? quite the rallying call, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like the movie Independence Day, you know, everyone puts aside all their differences and they all come together as humans to, you know, fight the, you know, the cosmic invaders. Which is, you know, to, to be honest, if you if you look into some of the comments of some of the people who legitimately like really broke this story back in 2017 and or, you know, kind of got the ball rolling on this. This seems to be something that they're leaning into is that the, there may be we may be inching towards a rally call, because if what they're saying is true and well, let's go back to talk about Grush and some of the things that, that he said um, through his interviews over the last several months. He starts to lean into something that's far fucking weirder than aliens. And we start leaning into multidimensional beings. And this is where things start to get really wacky and really wild and kind of touches on religious beliefs and things like that is spooky occult stuff. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We we may without our knowledge, we may be actually coexisting with something that um, is, in a certain sense, they're they're here with us, just on a different plane of existence, and they may have been feeding off of us, manipulating us, and and toying with us for a very very long time. Isn't Whenever that exactly I... what a lot of religions have been saying forever, though? Too right that there are these other types of things that right. like some so of them how... will be cool, some of them will fuck with you. Like, right. so how fucked yeah. up is it? That that if we inch closer and closer to this, we might we might actually meet our quote unquote gods. Maybe, maybe, quite possibly. But but yeah, like Luxa brings up a good point. All the myths have celestial beings in them, have mm -hmm. infernal beings in them, have some sort of um, kind of otherworldly beings like uh, fairies or fae or genie or jinn and things like that. All the same thing yeah all of it is i um the 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 more and more i look into this the less i'm convinced that it is part of me thinks that yeah we are actually being legitimately visited by by physical beings that exist within our own universe and that they've been coming here and just kind of you know taking a look at us and then going on about their merry way but the flip side of that is and this this is coming not only from my own research, but my own personal experiences within paranormal research and actually putting myself in the line of fire with this stuff is that I'm far less convinced that, that the phenomena as a whole is what we call it. And I think, you know, Jacques Vallée, going back to him, Passport to Magonia, really, really good point. There's there's something that's always been here that's always been with us and it, it interacts with us in intervals and it it connects with us in a tailor-made way to the individual to the observer and that's why none of us see the exact same thing but we can have very similar experiences yeah yeah we we run into that a lot um with our research for our podcast where several people will describe the same incident but they'll describe it in a different way different mm. colors different shapes uh different entities even yeah. And and it's almost like it's kind of like when you're looking at it, it's like when I first opened TikTok and looked at it, I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. 
I couldn't even accurately describe it to anybody. I just closed it and then just never looked at it again. <laughs> Honestly, that's about how I fucking feel about it too. Like, nope, nope, hey, that's man, too much. <laughs> seriously, like, good God. Well, like when we get down into this kind of extra dimensional kind of area, at least me personally, I can't really wrap my head around that. It's just like, I don't even know what these other dimensions are. I don't know how that would work. Um, it's kind that's where for me, it, it just kind of becomes words and just kind of, you know, it, it's kind of beyond my understanding. But have when, you when ever heard of a tesseract? No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Love it. Well, I have from you. <laughs> um, but so th that's, I guess, just to kind of, I maybe dovetail us in a little bit into, Okay, so let's just assume for now that these are not interdimensional beings, but they're, you know, beings from our physical reality. Nuts and from bolts. Other nuts and bolts stuff, you know, matter that we know about from our dimension. What would it take to get, you know, to get here from, you know, from these other solar systems, you know? And like there are, you know, scientific groups that have been searching for this for you know 50 years like the, the SETI group and you know lots of other scientists have been looking for evidence for this phenomenon for a long time because again obviously this is a, a topic that people are really interested in and it has very kind of fundamation fund fundamental kind of consequences to know that we're not alone in the universe that you know there are others out there and why like why does there seem to be this gap between like scientific evidence and these kind of like sightings? Like it feels like there's just like. <laughs> so in the invisible college by Jacques Vallée, I think he does talk about like how there have been, as far as he's seen some cherry picking of results, because he's from the scientific community. So it's possible that there have been things that were seen that just didn't fit into any boxes and were discarded. Um, is sort of like what was suggested. Um, but to answer your first question about like, what would it take to get here? I mean, like based on what we know about physics and about the universe and stuff, like we assume that it would require some kind of like faster than light travel, whether that's like, you know, goes super, super fast somehow, or like bends space time or whatever. Like we assume that there must be it would require some kind of like faster than light travel. And that breaks our current understanding of physics as the speed of light being like the universal speed limit. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, the, but here's what's interesting about that, Alex. And I love that you brought that up is um, simultaneously as we're seeing this disclosure effort take off, we're also seeing a massive boom in our understanding of theoretical physics. And mm -hmm. we're starting to actually push into that sci-fi territory. The more and more we learn about this stuff, the closer we are to actually harnessing the concept of it and maybe being able to manipulate it for our own reasons. So, I mean, obviously we're decades away from that, but just the advancements that we've seen happen in the last couple of years alone um, has really lent some credence to the fact that we we might be on the verge of being able to do these kinds of things sure, now that we're yeah. understanding how this stuff works 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, things like quantum entanglement, which has been, you know, experimentally demonstrated, it kind mm. of like throws a huge wrench into the idea of like locality, like where you are in space, like that might not mean as much as we thought it did in the beginning. Right. Sort of, if that makes sense, like if you can change the spin or charge of like one particle and it's entangled with another, no matter how far away it is, like it will also change. Like, so that that says something interesting about space that we didn't really understand before. So, yeah. Oh, and I guess the kind of the assumption is that if there are these, you know, advanced civilizations, you know, out there in the cosmos, you know, we've been around for, you know, what, 100,000 years as modern humans, and we have had our technological revolution within the past 200 years. And, you know, the ability to fly is only within, you know, the past 120 years. So maybe it would have happened faster without all of that crazy religious stuff is an argument that people make, not one that I'm necessarily <laughs> making. But... Well, and yes. what if what if there are civilizations that are, you know, millions of years older than us? Sure, so yeah. you could make this um, assumption that they would have developed technologies that we can't even fathom yet, you know. There there was a theoretical physicist named John Wheeler who had a hypothesis that all electrons and positrons are just manifestations of a single entity that's moving backwards and forwards in time which is why they all have the same charge and the same mass his theory was because they're all the same electron I mean I love it that's very cool it's over my head, but it does sound cool. Yeah. So we're living <laughs> in a, way over my head wait, too. Wait, so, so we're we're existing because we're a, a dream of an Ouroboros. <laughs> I mean, maybe. So this oh, reminds shit. me of something that I've been having fun with recently, which is simulation hypothesis. Shout out oh, to Burke. I'm taking fuck. a class about it right now, which has been very fun. And perhaps I would say, like, perhaps this is all a sort of a glitch in the matrix, right? We could say that too. <laughs> Look, so that's a whole other fucking podcast, and I'm yeah, gonna we're getting, a whole, sorry, whole, whole <laughs> lot more drinks for that. God well, damn. Bring us back onto to steady ground here, Asher. Well, I think, yeah, I just think it's interesting to... All right, so I know myself, and I think Luxa does as well, we you know, kind of have a scientific background, and I do try to view these things through kind of like a scientific lens. And so, like, we basically have, as far as, you know, science is reliant on evidence, you know? And so the evidence that we have for this phenomena is mostly eyewitnesses. And then we have some photography that are mostly taken from like fighter jets that are, you know, moving really fast and using like thermal cameras and stuff. And Mm -hmm. like, so while there is like a wealth of kind of eyewitness testimony, the actual kind of like hard evidence for it seems very nebulous and like i think that's why it's difficult for people because we do live in in a very materialistic age where science is kind of like our go-to way of understanding things where you know so it's just kind of it's hard to go from okay well someone had some weird experiences you know maybe there's other explanations you know like so what, what could you guys say on that like for like really like the kind of lack of scientific evidence that's out there is this just being suppressed is there is it being misunderstood or you know is it something else all entirely i would say that what happened um when members of the like you know people from the government went to investigate at skinwalker ranch 
was a sort of an interesting thing. Like their conclusion was that there was something going on there, an intelligence of some type, but that it defied detection on purpose as far as they could tell. So yep. that's an interesting kind of aspect to consider about the phenomenon. And this is, again, coming from, you know, these government agents that were sent out there. These aren't, you know, amateurs or anything. So I don't know. I mean, I'll vouch for that as an active investigator of this stuff who goes out into the field. It it will not allow itself to be captured and documented the way that we want. I mean, it can be right in front of you, but as soon as you reach for any instrument that's going to actually quantify the data that you're looking for, boom, gone. It's fucking and frustrating as hell. The scientific method is fantastic, but it's not really meant to be applied to everything either and i think that what we see here is like you know maybe getting outside of the realm of what is measurable with with our current tools mm -hmm. yeah yeah there, there, i mean there's definitely something to that and i think that's why like going back to grush i think that's why a lot of what he was saying is is very very important is he starts talking about our perception of reality and, uh, you know, you can say multidimensional, but the way that he goes into it, it's way weirder than what we would think about it. There's there's a couple of amazing quotes from that. And I'm, I'm not going to try to repeat them because I will just totally butcher them. But he was trying to describe, like, what would a fourth or fifth dimensional being look like and how would how would they interact with a two to three dimensional world like whatever steps down from that and you you just don't get the whole picture you you can't we can't actually process the information we lack the ability to do it and i've been talking about this for years at this point we already know just on a very very baseline simple level that we can't even perceive the entirety of the reality around us. Our our eyes can't even process the full light spectrum. Who the fuck knows what's standing right next to us? Now, when they always hand out these Nobel Prizes in physics, right? And they're always for discoveries from like the 50s and the 60s with uh, theorists and things. So, I mean, that's almost as far behind as they are. They're almost 60 years behind improving a lot of these theories that people had that turn out to be true. Mm -hmm. That is true. The scientific, you know, method just and the process, it moves slowly through academia and, you know, mm -hmm. peer reviewed journals and all that stuff, too. So it does take time for these things to kind of like get out there as well. Oh, absolutely. Like I'm thinking a lot about like um, Yokiro Nambu who was awarded the Nobel prize in physics in 2008. And that was for a discovery he made in like the 1960s. Uh, that has to do with like uh, electroweak interaction and like Higgs mechanism and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Cool. I would carve off a pound of flesh right now. If we could get calm Kelleher on here with us to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You've heard it here first. Colin <laughs> I'm kind of into it, so you know it's fine. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it, it it it's simultaneously fascinating and frustrating that right, applying the scientific method to this stuff doesn't necessarily yield results because we're looking at something that is functioning and existing um, beyond the scope of our understanding, and so we we can't even format new forms of of study and 
and documentation without actually having a a basic understanding of what we're interacting with. It is right. It keeps me up at night, to be honest. Are you all familiar with the observer effect? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, why don't you Why don't you go ahead and describe it? Uh, or okay. I could, if you don't want to. Yeah, whatever works. I'm not familiar with it, so I, yeah. I'd... Yeah, it definitely demonstrates that consciousness and measuring have something to do with how reality unfolds for us, if you will. Yeah, that's that's actually that's one of the big things that a lot of the heavy hitters in this conversation as of late have been pushing is that we need to start thinking about the term consciousness and what that means. Even Colm Kelleher, who I just mentioned, has brought that up before, is that our own consciousness plays a major part in this, not only for the actual experience and the interaction, but for the framework of the reality of whatever the hell this is as a whole. Like we our consciousness is way more powerful than we give it credit for because we're constantly thinking about the, uh, the watery meat sacks that hold it in, or we assume holds it in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the placebo is a great touchstone here, right? Absolutely. So this observer effect is pretty much is it's the disturbance of an observed system by the act of observation. And this can play out in in a variety of ways. Uh, I guess one real world way of this is like all animals behave differently when they know they're being watched. But the double slit experiment is probably the most famous in the realm of the observer effect. And that, I mean, at that time, scientists were shooting electrons and finding interference patterns with itself. And while conducting the experiment and observing it, all of a sudden they began to get a scatter pattern. And what they discovered that was before a subatomic particle is observed is is in two states at once. Then when it is observed, it becomes one state or the other. And that what that means is why we like we we don't know if light is actually a part. I mean, it's both a particle and a wave like it behaves in both ways. Yeah. 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 So so whenever somebody measures a subatomic particle, they can only measure it for its position in space or its velocity, because measuring one of them makes the other one infinitely uncertain. Yeah, that's because in order to measure it, we shoot other stuff at it to find. Yeah, that, so because the act of mm-hmm. measuring it changes it that in a very direct way there. So yeah, well, yeah, definitely kind of points to some of the limitations we have as far as we can perceive, you know, reality. Yes. Our instrumentation is, in many ways, quite like rudimentary, right? Like we're <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking about absolutely. these very complicated Which, things. Like, so yes. If you want to get occultic for a minute, I mean, that would mean from the get-go there had to be something observing from the Big Bang on. Sure. Or else nothing would have happened. So consciousness would have had to come at exactly that point. Or I just don't hate slightly the idea before of like panpsychism, where like consciousness sort of exists in all places in the universe. But yeah, yeah, totally. Whereas the standard model wants to say that the Big Bang happened, and then fourteen billion years go by, and then consciousness arises from life. Well, and what are your guys' thoughts on the panspermia theory that you know life? You know, it's one of the big mysteries in biology is, you know, how can we explain the origins of life? We we have these models that explain evolution. They can explain a lot of things, but the actual origins of life, 
Now, e even in my textbook in college, when I was studying biology, one of the three kind of <laughs> hypothesis was that life came from elsewhere in the solar system. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, I, at this point, and, and let's just take a look at the the recent uh, breakdown of the, the asteroid uh, sample that they they brought back and broke down. Um, it's becoming increasingly likely that um, whatever kicked off life here, and, and not just intelligent life, but just life in general, period. Um, terrible pop punk album, by the way. Um, <laughs> hey, somebody got it. Awesome. Um, it's becoming increasingly likely that that yeah, like whatever life exists here is was more than more than likely kicked off by pure accident. Like the building blocks for it landed on a a fucking crater, an asteroid landed here, and it kicked things off. Yeah, I I love that. So sure. I I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I also have a you know background in biology and stuff. So like this is a question that has come up. And like Ooh, honestly, yeah. and this is definitely like out there and esoteric. So take what I'm about to say like with salt. This is not like a scientific opinion per se. But like <laughs> my sort of philosophical thought about life is that it might be a sort of ambient force like electromagnet you know, magnetism or gravity or other things like that, that we see manifestations of it when the conditions arise for it, right? Like, sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Now, something to that. every everything on the particle level is made up of up quarks, down quarks, and electrons, at least when it comes to matter. It's just in the different combinations of those three things do we get vastly different things. I mean, as far as the panspermia thing, I, I, I think it fits in there. I think it fits in there with that because as, as one comet is putting together different combinations of these up quarks, down quarks, and electrons, you know, another comet is doing the same thing. And, and I mean, there's, I mean, there's a finite number, but it's almost an infinite number of these things. So I think given enough, I guess room for combinations in the vastness of space. I I don't see how matter couldn't come together and create life. Yeah, that's what a lot of folks think. I mean, a lot of like people who are astronomers and stuff that you know say like just the vast numbers alone would you know it would be unlikely that there wasn't other life, right? Like, totally. yeah. It it does seem like with our current kind of understanding of the cosmos with almost this infinite amount of possibility in space, it does seem almost crazy and illogical to think that this couldn't happen elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm with that. I, as a matter of fact, I mean, I seriously think that here, I mean, probably in the next couple of years, we're going to get confirmation of, of life elsewhere. i and this is let's move the conspiracy theory shit off to the side for a second. Uh, I think we're going to get confirmation that we have other life in our solar system whenever the next Europa experiment goes up. I think we're going to find out that we have some simple organisms living underneath that water. And I think yeah, that's there gonna... was a false alarm in the 90s about some I think it was like Mars rocks or something. Mm -hmm. um, oh, we I did remember that. Put... Yeah. yeah. They found one we in did. Antarctica that, that had microbes in it, but they later determined that they were from Earth. Yes. Yeah. We did put um life on Mars 
because with the Mars rover, they tried to clean it as good as they could to get all the microbial life off of it. There is still the, there's but, still some there. But, yeah. 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 There there were some things that were just thriving off of like even like pure isoprol um, alcohol and things. So they were like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, there's a lot send- of interesting, extreme, ex- sorry, excuse me, extremophiles that uh, yeah have crazy lifestyles much different than uh, other things. So yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that as like a science fiction book. Like, uh, what if like you know you know three hundred years from now, like there's these life forms on you know Europa or wherever, and they were actually evolved from you know, life we accidentally seeded. There. It's all because we track shit in on the tread of our <laughs> yeah. shoes. It's ah. very like Starship <laughs> Troopers, like giant bugs or something. Yeah, that's like, like a oh, great science it. fiction book. <laughs> yeah, but if you scale um, it back down to panspermia in here, it makes you wonder, I'm going to have a Jeff Spicoli moment here. <laughs> Dude, maybe we're the aliens. Whoa. <laughs> you know? Now, I am a believer in that human... Uh, not evolution, but human advancement has risen and fallen over, like, what, centimillennia? I mean, what's to say 100,000 years ago, humans weren't as advanced as we are now, or even more so? Which is something we're starting to dig into, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do love playing with that idea, but um, again, I, I'm kind of rooted in history and kind of stuffy academic kind of way of thinking oh of yeah things. Um, good we need you to wrangle us in to be honest <laughs> yeah because like, yeah well, there's absolutely no evidence for well, that's, that. yeah that's what i was gonna say like <laughs> you know like, we're finding evidence about there's also like, no know. evidence against it <laughs> I, I do like the idea though that um i think you know something that comes up a lot a lot in this talk, uh, especially with like the ancient aliens kind of angle of it is that (laughs) looking at ancient humans and looking what they were able to accomplish without our modern technology. And then just writing that off as there's no way they could do that. These people were primitive there. You know, yeah, there's a lot of like currentism and also a lot of like racism and other things I think that get mixed up in those types of, uh, analysis oh, yeah. yeah however you like luxa regarding your 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 boo on that like the the ancient aliens thing definitely makes me want to rip my freaking hair out too just to make sure that i don't look like that guy i um, mean honestly <laughs> that's the only part i like about it is that guy's hair. right yeah yeah totally Giorgio. <laughs> but but i think it's worth noting if we're talking about the the modern conversation of ufo disclosure which was what kind of kicked off this conversation to begin with there is legitimate discussion going on uh, that some of the things that we're seeing and experiencing might be from a breakaway civilization, which I find fascinating because it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's it, you know, here in the here and now that we can understand. So you start talking about breakaway civilizations and you have people like David Grush coming up talking about how, you know, uh, multi-dimensional properties are actually there this starts to take a very very different turn you know interesting yeah yeah there's there's a lot going on here that we can't fully comprehend because the jackasses who actually have all the knowledge can't legally talk about it now but i i think it's worth noting that that's kind of the point of the ongoing current disclosure conversation is we do you know, people will roll my roll eyes at me for this shit, but we do actually have legitimate warriors out there trying to trying to flip the system 
so that what we don't know can be shared with the public. And I think that's worth pointing out. However, you also have just as many disinformation agents. So who the fuck knows? I don't know. Yeah, the information wants to be free, right? <laughs> but yes, that's the thing about um, that information, right? You, you mentioned disinformation. And I think that maybe even in addition to that, there are, you know, there's some people that have, you know, made a sort of career out of like, maybe having a sort of like, you know, showmanship surrounding this kind of stuff, too. And so there are some players out there like that, that muddy the waters as well not going to name yeah. names but i think we all know who we're thinking of yeah. i mean yeah when, the, when... <laughs> the whole issue was wrapped up with you know members of the intelligence community as well so there's all kinds of like you know questions there in terms of like what you know games might or might not be being played yeah and they brought that up in the hearing as well when i forget which senator asked it but he but he asked like um to the best of your knowledge are disinformation agents resorting to violent acts and things like that i can't remember the exact wording and he said i can only talk to you about that behind closed doors yeah i can only talk to you about it behind a skiff but but he was very very open in stating that there is an ongoing and historical stretch of a, a disinformation campaign to the american public about all of this well let's talk oh, about absolutely. that for a minute like so i think a lot of this phenomena a lot of the sightings and stuff are in the United States or Soviet Union. Obviously not all of them. This is a global phenomenon. But if this was being kept secret, if there is this kind of colossal kind of effort to deny, you know, to discredit all this stuff, how on earth would all of the governments in the world like be on the same page with this? Like it seems so unlikely that such a big secret when it be disclosed by like another government, you know, like a, a rogue nation that has nothing to lose, you know? Well, so NASA just last year started looking into this. Like, I think that there's in a large part, like in the mem members of the like leadership and a lot of countries just haven't looked into this because they don't like super care. I mean, we're all enthusiasts about this topic, but I, do I think the broader public like might not super care. Like when I did some research earlier, like disclosure about this topic was not the first thing that was coming up either, right? So like, I, I don't know. So there, I, it's interesting too to like kind of consider that, like, you know, will it be as big a deal as like the next like Marvel movie or something, right? Like, I don't know. I hope so, because if not, I have no hope for humanity. Uh, like... I, I, th I think it would be. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would be a, would be a, the biggest news that we've ever had. Jesus fucking Christ, I hope so. I'm, hey, I'm uh, fairly confident. I know. Yeah, you. Yeah, you could be right. Absolutely. Who knows? I mean, I mean, we could get into like the conspiracy theory because that, that is, you know that, that is something I you know wonder about is how how could we keep something like this secret and why why wouldn't these beings if they are here why wouldn't they make it you know more apparent that they're here why would they do such weird games you know like the whole Jacques Vallée thing or. You know, we can't begin to understand their motives, which is kind of his take on it. But it, you know, it just seems odd that if they if we were being visited, they want to, you know, quote, you know, land on the White House, you know, front yard or whatever. Well, they did in 1952. According to some sources. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. July 19th, 1952. <laughs> I have not heard that story. 
Okay. Well, yeah. So as far as like a conspiracy goes in terms of why this hasn't been like looked into more, like I like I said, I don't necessarily think it needs to be a conspiracy for people to just like not want to look into it. Like I'm assuming that these assignments for these like government folks aren't like maybe super well looked on. Like I feel like it would probably suck to have that job being in charge of Project Blue Book. Like, you know, they're like all of these factors. A lot of people are raised with like um, you know, Christian, you know, ideas about things and like thinking about that kind of stuff is scary, is like another thing I've heard. Like that, like they straight up like don't want to think about it. And that could also be part of you know this like one of the things that was brought up like with this you know hearing is like okay well why are we doing this now after so long and the argument is like look this is a national security threat like that's why we have to, we need to like start paying attention to it for national security um yeah so i don't know i like i said i don't necessarily think there needs to be a conspiracy for people to just maybe not have been interested and I think 30 years is a sort of, you know, it's, it's around 30 years ago when we were talking about this before. And like when we look at academia, for instance, it's often said that like ideas don't really change. It's that the people who had the old ideas like kind of die off and are replaced by new people that have new ideas. And so there could be like something akin to that happening within the government as well. It's true. And, and just with the academia example, like, um, you know, we were talking about this before we started, but the, the Avi Loeb, who's the Harvard professor, and I think, uh, what, 2017, there was an object that entered our solar system from um, from deep space, and it, you know, it flew around the sun, and then it flew out, but it, it seemed to accelerate uh, as it went, and they, they named it Oumuamua, um, which I believe is like a Hawaiian messenger god, Um but it, yeah. it behaved very much like a comet, but it did not have a, a gasish a gaseous trail like a comet does. So people didn't know what the heck this thing was. And they didn't really identify it until it was already, you know, well into its progression through our solar system. So we weren't able to basically fly a probe out there and take pictures of it. The only pictures that we have of it are from very, uh, very low resolution resolution pictures from a long way away but the object itself was shaped in a very curious way and it would reflect a lot of light for a few hours and then it would not reflect like hardly any light for a few hours and then it would reflect a lot of light so it seemed to be shaped like either a disc or like a cigar that was tumbling yeah um, yeah yeah that that's that's one of the biggest parts about that that um, kind of gets overlooked by by the media is when, when you're looking at the scientific uh, data that was presented with this. Yeah, it seems to be extremely long and and it is either, as you said, cigar shaped or maybe disc shaped. And it's it's flipping. It's rotating um, from its center point of gravity. So like the the part of it with the most mass, it's just rotating over and over and on that. And um, as you said, like the the lack of the gaseous tail kind of removes the concept of it being a comma, and the the angle that it came in to our solar system, and then hit our sun, and then started to speed up as it was rotating our sun, and then shot the hell out at a completely different trajectory that it was coming in. 
um avi Loeb's argument I, I i think one of the theories that he was proposing is that this might have been a uh, a probe-like structure that was functioning off of what we here on earth are talking about as like light sails yeah 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 oh he thought you know it could be space trash um from some other you know it, it could be a, a technological was basically his premise and that or what one one of his ideas he threw out there he didn't say it was technological he said it could be it's a phenomenon we have not observed in nature before and it's behaving very much like a theoretical technology that we've thought about which would be a light cell which would be very thin but have a huge surface area mm-hmm. yeah there's there's a there's a lot of like and i i I love that we finally came back around to Avi Loeb because I fucking love this guy, man. Yeah, he's just, really cool. I, I, I really just I I want to go get a big pot of coffee and sit down with him. <laughs> like, oh, well, man, and this. like he he's like a legitimate academic, right? Yes. But when he yeah. proposed this idea, there's so much freaking backlash from the kind of traditional academic establishment that this cannot be what you're saying. You know, even though it's a like it's just as likely that it is this as it is some unexplained natural phenomena. Yeah. But I guess uh, the point was that within the circles of academia, this kind of hypothesis was just pretty much rejected outright that like, as Luxa was saying, you know, the, you know, a lot of ideas are carried by the people that profess them. Maybe they wrote their dissert- dissertation on them and this kind of new, interesting evidence could potentially throw a wrench into specific worldviews and it's much easier to just kind of invent a new natural phenomena than to kind of entertain the ideas that it could be technological that it could be extraterrestrial yeah absolutely i do know that they're proposing like a space mission to go to a project lyra lyra something like that yeah was it 2035 is the projected date of actually meeting the thing yeah i think it's supposed to get launched by uh 27 or 28 and but it's going to take a long time for it to actually catch up with it and and see what it is Mm -hmm. but uh, the the trajectory thing of it that is the thing that fascinates me the most because like i'm gonna have to go back and do a little bit of research but and if any of you can debunk what I'm about to say, by all means, please do. If I understand it correctly, like as this thing was coming in, it actually decelerated until it met up with the sun and then essentially used the slingshot method to build gravity and speed, but it still left our solar system at a speed that was, as far as we can tell, that doesn't make sense from what we understand. So it, yeah. it looked like a maneuver that a craft would do to like gain, you know, the, the slingshot effect with gravity or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't like know every if it, sci-fi you know. nerd immediately was starting to think of Star oh, yeah. Trek for <laughs> the voyage home, right? Gravitational <laughs> maneuver. Oh yeah. <laughs> what, which that was that was the exact same way we did uh, Project Voyager was slingshotting around the uh, to get to the outer planet. It is a using thing. The gravitational yeah, yeah, that's that's how yeah. that's how it's done to navigate around the solar system. Um, I don't know if it decelerated, but I know when it was moving away, <laughs> it started to accelerate and yep. people were not expecting that because at an exponential rate. Yeah. Yeah, it was but, just behaving it was behaving very much like a comet, but it wasn't providing any evidence that it was a comet. The only thing I can think of is uh, to like 
I guess, debunk it or give a scientific explanation is when it got closer to the sun, it experienced the heating of gases and the heating of gases let off pressure, which mm -hmm. caused it to move in a way like it was being like rocket boosted or something. Oh, and that's kind of like the theory that's been thrown out is that this was a hydrogen comet, which is something yeah. we've never okay. seen before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That um, And so hydrogen gas maybe would not produce this long, you know, coma, uh, this long kind of tail with water vapor, which is a typical comet. So this would have been this new type of comet that's never been observed before. And we just can't see the tail, but it still is, you know, the same kind of, you know, natural phenomena. Well, whatever it is, oh, it's something interesting. interesting. It is very interesting, yeah. I'm wondering if we want to maybe like close out with talking about something like a little bit goofy. We've we've covered a lot of heavy ground. We've gotten into some dark places and a few places in this conversation. Do you all want to talk about like some of the hoaxes or some of the other kind of like silly things that we've seen crop up around this? I mean, fuck that. I, I'm I'm down to keep going. Yeah, I got another five hours, fuckers. <laughs> I'm thinking of poor Asher having to do the editing. Well, I think we've only been going to do for, the editing. It's fine. Um, I think well, about an hour and a half. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm down to keep going. If you guys are, okay. I mean, if we have more interesting stuff to talk about, I'm I'm down to keep going. I can I'll, keep going for about another half hour for sure. That's that's fair. And oh. to be honest, uh, guys, I. I think this is a great conversation. I think these are great minds to have this discussion. And I think we should do this again. I will formally I invite all of you to uh, come on for the UAP roundup at the end of this year that I'll be doing. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Pro I guess probably the most bizarre thing I've ever seen from this would be like alien implants. That's an interesting topic we haven't touched on. Yeah. yeah. And that goes along with kind of um, abductee experience experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, um, people have, you know, there have been stories of people like finding foreign objects in their body after having these experiences, strange metals, um, just, you know, interesting things that are difficult to explain. Are are you guys familiar with uh, Roger Lear, Dr. Lear? I was about to bring him up. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm not. Doctor Lear has entered the chat. <laughs> Dave, I, I, go, go for it, man. Okay, okay. I have some notes. I mean, he isn't some wacky doctor. He was bored. Uh, he passed away in March of 2014. Um, before his death, he was a podiatrist and a foot surgeon, where he had a private practice in Ventura County, California. Uh, he held degrees in uh, medicine, a bachelor of science, and an associate in the arts. He was board certified on the National College of Foot Surgeons, the American Body of Podiatric Sports Medicine, the American Board of Foot Surgery, the American Circulatory Society, and the Society for Non-Invasive Vascular Technology. Okay, what he's probably most known for, at least in our communities, is he claims to have performed 17 surgeries on alleged alien abductees resulting in the removal of 18 separate and distinct objects suspected of being alien implants. And some of them now, were of a very interesting nature, too. And so there's oh, seven, yeah. 18 pieces of stuff in 17 people's feet? Yeah, and some of the tests showed, like, um, anomalies with the metal, like high, highly magnetic iron without crystalline form. Where was this again? This was uh, uh, California. And, and let okay. me let me backtrack. Like his his surgeries on um 
on removing these supposed implants uh, had it, they weren't all necessarily localized on the foot. Okay. He uh, he picked up an interest on that because he had a patient and he encountered it. And then he started doing this stuff on the side. So he kept up oh, okay. his role as a <laughs> very that little side surgery. <laughs> right, yeah, a little side surgery. He really kept up All uh, right, Dr. His, <laughs> his prominence of being a respected surgeon in the podiatry uh, aspect. This was something else that he did, uh, like, kind of in collaboration with, with other people. And he never really talked about it oh, yeah. towards the end of his life. But there's some... There's some really fascinating stuff, Dave. Maybe you and I can actually dig up uh, so, some of the um, the photos of the stuff that was pulled out and some of the X-rays before this episode airs, so that we can share it with everybody listening. But th- there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Oh yeah, and and the laboratories. He didn't have like his own laboratory that studied these things. He would send this stuff to like Los Alamos National Lab, mm-hmm. uh, Seal Laboratories, Southwest Labs, uh, several universities. Um, they would find stuff like growth of biological tissue into or out of metallic substances and things with isotopic ratios that aren't even found on this world. And also um, uh, items that were were both organic and mechanical in nature. Yeah, yeah. And some that were elements that we've only seen in the composition of meteors. Yeah. yeah. Super weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what happened to all these things. The, the, <laughs> they're... You ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? They're in the fucking warehouse. That's man, the I thing, right? Like, where where is all the stuff? Right? Like, we're hearing about all this stuff well, and how uh, weird it is. It's like, where is it? Yeah. Okay, so actually, that's a really good point, and and that's a great segue into something a little bit more fun and weird and wild here for a second before we start to close this out. Is a lot of these quote unquote metamaterials and some of these objects. They are being sent to prominent people. I mean, our dear friend Jacques Vallée, who we've mentioned numerous times, has had the opportunity to observe some of these quote-unquote metamaterials. And um, these materials are created and and refined and, and made in a way that we don't have the technology for. But it's all stuff that exists here. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's all elements that exist within our elemental table, but they are created and compacted in a way that we simply don't have the technology for. I find that to be fascinating. Like, like sure. it's, yeah. it's everything that's right here. We just don't know how to s- fucking pancake this shit like they did. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big if true. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cause he, I mean, he was finding, um, I mean, I mean, it has been shown that like metallic glasses can be patterned on like very small, small range scales like from 10 nanometers to several millimeters but you know a nanometer is is about a, it's a billionth of a meter and to put that in perspective a sheet of paper is 100,000 nanometers thick there you go yeah man i wish we could also get tom DeLong on this call because that be <laughs> yes <laughs> it would be cool which, by so the way, I, but, if, if you guys have not watched Monsters of California yet, you should. It's a terrible fucking movie, but the message behind it is pretty intense. All right. and I'm I, not familiar with that one. Tom DeLonge's directorial and uh, screenwriting debut. He funneled a lot of what he's learned from his own UFO research into this in order to get 
a story out to the public that doesn't necessarily violate uh, classified and non-disclosure agreements. Interesting. Okay. Terrible movie, though. It's it's a it's terrible not... movie, but interesting <laughs> he, stuff. He tried. In it. He he re- he gave it the old college try. I mean, he tried to do like a Spielberg coming of age teenage adventure thing, and the elements were there. But to be honest, like as a first time director, I I couldn't do better. Okay. But his he, motivation he did, he did in this was to like get this message out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I wonder how much this ha- like right this this is part of this conspiracy right that this is something that has been done and so here we see evidence that somebody has definitely done it because like he said he did it right. Oh so, no, like, no, he he's directly spoken about this. Yeah. Look, I, so, I I don't know if saying, any yeah. of y'all have actually done the deep dive into Tom DeLonge and and to the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. They, they got a rocky history and i can understand why people would raise an eyebrow but i would i would encourage everyone to look into it and forget the fact that he's part of blink 182 whether you love him or hate him he's done some shit (laughs) he has done some shit and he is actually partially responsible for where we're at right now because after the 2017 kickoff with leslie Keane's article about uh ufos uh black budgets and and hidden auras or Hidden budgets and black auras. I can't remember how it was done, but <laughs> the original New York Times article yeah, that yeah, yeah. came out in 2017 that really kicked this story off. He was behind it. He was actually already in conversation with Christopher Mellon, with Lou Elizondo, with all of these people. He had all of the data right there. And he was he got a call, I believe, from Christopher Mellon and saying, like, Everything's about to drop, something leaks, somebody's got a hold on it, and then boom, Leslie Keen drops that article. And he's done a lot for this pursuit of of the knowledge and the truth, whatever the fuck you want to call it. He's he's a believer, he's definitely doing this shit, I'm not kissing his ass, because uh, honestly, he always kind of came off as a jackass to me. But he's actually really doing some great things for this purpose, you know? Oh yeah. Kind of on like a, a tangent, somewhat familiar, uh, related, but um, I'm sure you all are aware of the cattle mutilation kind of phenomena. Mm. Um, yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Hmm. Oh, I have a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know this is territory I'm, that you guys have covered a lot of, Dave. I'm, I'm going to start by saying that I mean, cases of it go back to the 1600s. But depending on how broad of a definition you want to go with, like livestock mutilation, it is still of 2023 common practice to mutilate our livestock and household plant plant uh, pets for agricultural, even aesthetic purposes. You know, tattoos, ear tagging, branding, tail docking, ear cropping, uh, beak trimming, wing clipping, dehorning, castration. You know, but but when people say livestock mutilation, they usually are referring to the kind of unexplained ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Pouring out of the and, asshole type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like we are crazy hard to explain. Like surgical, surgical kind of. Yeah. With no blood. Yeah. And and there's been two major um, cases of it studied by the government. One of them actually led to like a prison break of like a high profile criminal fascinating how did that happen yeah 
You just have to go and listen to that episode. We All did. right. Because <laughs> we'll, we'll have to let us know which story. number it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, pl- it, plug but, that but, in the show, no, show notes, Dave, please. But but basically, the idea behind it was this guy was like, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what I know about this satanic clan I was a part of that was doing it, but you need to move me to a lower grade facility. And, he and said, they were like, what? <laughs> satanic clan? Sure. Have Satan. a hamburger Absolutely. and come with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but May of 1979 was Operation Animal Mutilation, um, and that was a year-long investigation led by FBI agent, agent uh, Kenneth Rommel. Uh, that was one of them. And the other one was uh, Don Flicken, or Donald Flickinger, and that was the one that played into the satanic panic thing. And That's... he was... I want to say in the FBI or the NSA. Now, Dave, have you heard? No. Have you heard the accusations that a lot of the cattle mutilations that happened between the uh, mid '80s up until the late '90s were actually because of us? Yeah, yeah. I've heard that pairing up with mad cow disease and all that. That's a whole other conspiracy yeah. story. We will save that for a whole other fucking episode. And I'm really <laughs> confused that. though, like, because, because of like pe- people did it for social, political, social reasons. Luxa, <laughs> it's so fucking complicated. I, I will send you the link to what I picked up on it, but it's fucking fascinating. Like there, all there right, all right. seems to be a theory that a lot of the cattle mutilations that were going on is because uh, we, as you know, Americans and and some of us fucking around and finding out with sciences that we shouldn't have may have actually been responsible for mad cow disease and some of the cattle mutil a lot of the cattle mutilations that happened during that twenty year period were actually us trying to control or get data on the mistake that we made. Oh, um, I've, I've heard uh, yeah, something okay. that kind of dovetails into that. That I, I think I heard this on Coast to Coast. So take you know take it as it is. But um, gospel truth. <laughs> Yeah, Pretty sure yeah. you're right. Then yeah, and fuck yeah, Gospel <laughs> All hail Art Bell. Roswell, Roswell's to you, my friend. Roswell's well, there was apparently after the kind of birth of the atomic age, there was a kind of initiative within the U.S. government to try to find other uses for atomic energy and atomic weapons beyond blowing up other countries. Yeah, And they came up with this idea that we can use them to prospect oil and gas. And this would kind of be like mega fracking, where you basically (laughs) blow up a bomb like way underground and try to release, like, yeah, release all the oil that's caught in the strata. And it could be like this new commercial outlet for atomic weapons, basically. And so they apparently were, you know, testing this, you know, very top secret testing it and they were taking samples of livestock to see if they were contaminated with radioactive fallout Hmm. and so this would have been like the black choppers you know that people have reported with cattle mutilations that you know you know they they can't actually tell the farmers and ranchers what's been going on but they they show up in the middle of night to you know sample the livestock see if they're contaminated and and that's reflective off of some research I've done into this because um, uh, according to according to what I've found the first probable um, infections of 
BSE, which is bovine spongiform uh, encephalophthalmy or something like that, but commonly mad cow disease. That it began in the 1970s, um, and two cases of it were positively identified in 1986 in the United Kingdom. Through the end of 2015, more than 154,500 cases of it had been in, uh, confirmed in the United Kingdom in more than 35,000 herds. Now, if we look at America, the first case of BSE did not happen until 2003. And that was discovered on a farm in Washington State in early December. And according to the government, the CDC, to be more precise, only six cows with BSE have ever been found in the U.S. from 1986 to 2021. So if I recall correctly, the pathogen that causes this is a prion that like lives in the grass or like lives on like insects. Like some, I feel like there was like a couple of different like vectors that it like the, the, the cows ate it in the grass, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it got into their brains. Yeah. Yeah. But it eventually worked into their uh nervous systems yeah yeah i know it worked as a prion um i would have to look up that that i'm just imagining yeah i think that prion is basically like a rogue protein right it's not really like a life form as we like to consider life forms it's not a cellular organism it's more like a almost like a virus like a like a rogue um building block of life I believe so. Yeah, I'm not a scientist. I'm not even going to pretend to to um, have any answers. I'm looking that. it up in the news. There we go. Thank you. Wikipedia knows. There we go. Here we go. It's a protein that not only folds into an unusual shape itself, but also seems to have the ability to cause other proteins to change their shape as well. So it's almost like an information hazard for proteins where it's like, oh, look at me. I'm all fucked up and weird. And the other ones are like, oh, yeah, I want to be like that, too. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, yeah. weird. Yeah, so oh, I was actually right. Okay, all right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess that is our collective uh, opinion on cattle mutilation, as you asked, <laughs> <laughs> or at least to begin with. But I, I, I think that's. Uh, I, th- I feel like we need just need to do this again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't necessarily see a huge connection between the phenomena and cattle mutilation, although it's definitely something that comes up. You know, the phenomena is, is raised within conversations about cattle mutilation often. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing you never hear about anymore that used to be wrapped up in all this is crop circles. Yeah, but they yeah. still Those were do proven to be hoaxes. <laughs> most they, of them. they still most of them. they still happen constantly. Uh, there's a website that tracks them, and they put thousands on them every year. And there is a really, really interesting new theory that's coming about regarding these things. Um, that yeah, like the vast majority of them were were essentially hoaxes. But there's like another element, or whatever. But yeah. no, no, no. There's there's another element to it that they might have been influenced to do them. Uh, and that, that again, that's a whole other fucking rabbit hole. Yeah, there's no way we can do this in one episode. This <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to come back and do this again. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. This has been a really really good time. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on. It's been it's been really nice having some people with some kind of. I want to say expertise, but a lot of knowledge on the subject. And uh, 
really appreciated your guys's uh perspective on this issue yeah thank you so much flood and dave for joining us this has been awesome asher thank you as always for uh putting in the work with the history and everything and yeah this has been super fun and flood and dave do you guys want to plug your podcast uh, podcast real quick yes where can people find your stuff okay oh you go first <laughs> all right uh yeah uh my podcast is called uh xv planis uh that's e-x-v-p-l-a-n-i-s Poachard Latin. We'll, we'll we'll get into that story another time. Um, but yeah, you can find us if you just go to xvplanus.com or you look us up on any podcasting or social media network, you'll you'll definitely find us. And um we'd we'd love to bring more people into the conversation. So definitely hit us up because this conversation with these amazing people is definitely not over. And you can expect a follow-up by the end of the year. Come hell or high water, I I will drag you into it if i have to <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. so if people are interested it. in uh you know getting into like boots on the ground investigation and all of the many adventures that you and your crew go on there's all kinds of fun and interesting things going on over there and also at um unearthing paranormalcy they've all kinds of really interesting topics that you all have gotten into and really like gone deep with i think your series on alistair crowley is like five episodes long like you definitely like <laughs> get into the nitty-gritty and yeah, so i love good. that um you know we're the podcast we dig into the paranormal and try to find normalcy in the topic and what that means is we present all sides we can find skeptics believers even people that really just don't give a damn um pretty much our goal is to try to understand things a little better um there's a lot of fear of the unknown that goes way back to, I don't know, probably the beginning of consciousness. And there's something about when you have that information, it seems less scary at times. And we also, you know, we we read Irish myths, we read um, Greek myths, we talk about a lot of occultic stuff. And it's just kind of a grab bag of what any of our episodes are going to be. And we're available on, shoot, I think every podcasting app. You are. All right. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Well, if people want to listen to more of me, they can check out Luxicult Podcast, where I look at uh, magic, art, science, and philosophy through the lens of chaos magic. Really? Never heard of it. <laughs> it's not very good. <laughs> No, no it's, it's fucking dope. great. It's dope as fuck. It really, just really kidding. is. It's no, no, it's, I've been like listening it. to you for years now. I've been having a good time making it. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate uh, having each of you on as a guest. Uh, some of you multiple times. I think actually all of you multiple times. So, fuck yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, actually, I at this point, wouldn't this be a good time to just actually plug the whole network? I mean. Yes, we should absolutely do that. There's a lot of awesome shows available on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. We haven't mentioned Administrism yet, or Grognostics, or Primordia. Grognostics is a personal favorite. I fucking love those guys. Smuts they up. were the first ones we ever did a collaboration with. Like, we were maybe like 20 episodes in, and they were maybe like 24, and we found each other on Instagram, and we were like, hey, let's do an episode together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. 
Oh yeah, and um, Smuts Up is another one of our shows, and I believe we're going to be adding a new one here, Camera Occulta, which is very oh, fucking dope. Ooh, so keep an ear out for that. Yes, I, I was the guest on the first episode, so please tune in and check. Yes, it out. tell us a little bit about that. Give us a little teaser. Uh, well, there's, there, I'll give you a little bit. So, so I was asked to come on and talk about one of my personal favorite movies of all time, A Dark Song. Fuck yeah. I am obsessed with this movie for, you know what, just listen to the episode and you'll find out all about it. Um, I really would like to have a repeat discussion uh, with, with uh, a, a, what is it, a cult camera? Yes, that's what Yeah, camera occult, I believe, yes. Camera occult. I would really love to have a repeat with that as well as, as other members of the Green Mushroom Network. And I'm trying to actually reach out to the writer and the director of the film. But it was such a blast to to dig into this, like, truly. I, I'm pe- people give me shit about this, but I'm sorry. A Dark Song is a fucking masterpiece. It really is. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to have to watch it. I'm looking at the Wikipedia now and it looks freaking sweet. It is. Yeah. The, it's, it, prob- it's, it's an honest portrayal. Of, of dabbling with occult practices and having paranormal experiences. It's, it takes yeah. liberties. And, and as uh, other occultists and practitioners will see, like he definitely took liberties. Just take it with a grain of salt. Watch the whole thing. Holy fucking shit. That <laughs> <is weird. laughs> so camera occult is going to feature discussions about film in which occult and esoteric themes are explored. So that's a very fun topic that i'll look forward to enjoying all right well fuck yeah thank you all so much for joining us this has been fantastic i had a great time um thank you dave thank you flood uh i would love to have you guys back on like maybe we could do a part two um or maybe talk about some other topic but uh um, yeah this has been a blast so thank you guys so much well, thank you thank so much you. for having <laughs> Well, hell yeah. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed our episode. Um, it's a little bit different than our normal kind of format, but um, you know, I thought it would be a fun change of pace and I hope, hope you all enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Hope everybody had fun. I know that we did. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening as always. And we'll see you all in the next time. Bye. We'll see you all in the next time. In the next time. <laughs> <laughs> In the next thing time. <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to stick with that one. That's a great That's one. Fine. <laughs> As your body grows bigger, your mind must flower. It's great to learn, because knowledge is power. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G-I-O.